You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Church, how are we feeling this morning? Yeah. Wow, we're feeling good. I didn't expect that. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 6, please. Mark chapter 6, we'll begin in verse 14. Uh, I love to feel the energy. Thank you. That was great. Fantastic. Tis the season, is it not? It's just that special season where you're like, everybody's decorating for the holidays. Thanksgiving is just right around the corner. How many of you have already started planning for Thanksgiving? How many of you are going to be like on Tuesday before, like, oh, what should we do for dinner? <laughs> Come on, man. Don't be that guy, right? No turkeys left. Christmas? Are you ready to plan for Christmas? Yep. Yeah, I just, my in-laws just communicated their expectations to us of what our plans are for Thanksgiving. And I was like, we're there already. Awesome. All right, we'll talk about that. So, man, it is good. Tis the season, church, and we get to, as a family, come together and do this every single week. And so we're in this series called Greater, where we are seeing that Jesus, this man who walked earth, is greater than anything we've ever seen before. He's greater than sickness. He's greater than death itself. He is greater than rejection. He's greater than even the demonic and evil forces that plague humanity. He's greater. And then last week, man, what about last week, huh? Last week, Jesus sends the disciples out on their first solo mission. Sends them out for the first time without him to go and do everything in the next town that they've already seen him doing. And their immersive internship just got real. And so he sends them out. And I thought that they would be back this week, but I'm sorry to announce they're not back yet. The disciples are still out there. They are still on their mission, but they'll be here next week, they told me, okay? It's taken a little bit longer. They will be back next week. But in between their being sent on the mission and sandwiched between that and them coming back on the mission, we have a story today. Sandwiched in between the start and the conclusion of their mission, we are given a story. And friends, this story is not a commercial break. This is not a quick aside. This is not Mark stalling for time until they can come back from their mission. No, just like your favorite sandwich, the point is in the middle, the meat of the sandwich. The purpose of this entire section of the book of Mark is actually the story that we have today. And so in this story, we are going to flash back and reunite with an old friend of ours. We're going to go back to yesteryear. Remember when we first began this journey in the book of Mark, when you guys were all just little cute Eight weeks ago, whatever it was, right? We're going back to the beginning, and we're going to be reunited with an old friend named John the Baptist. Whatever happened to that guy, huh? I mean, he was so prominent. Like, it was, it was huge. There was crowds. And, like, I don't even know what happened. We got talking about Jesus. Whatever happened to that guy? Where'd he go? So we're going to flash back to the future, friends, and we're going to pay attention to what happened to him yesterday. Because what happened to the Baptist yesterday has huge implications for you tomorrow. What we see in this flashback to yesterday, we're going to find an important lesson for your future as sent ones, as followers of Jesus, as disciples. 
So you guys, do you have your DeLoreans? Are you ready to flash back to the future? You ready? Here we go. How many gigawatts? I don't know, but we're starting in chapter 6, verse 14. This is God's word for East Point Church. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. All right, first thing we see here in our story is that Jesus' name is increasing in fame. Jesus' name is increasing in fame. Anybody know any famous people here? All right, nod with me or show me a little wave if you know the following. I had to look these people up, never heard of them. Uh, LeBron James, anyone? Heard of that guy? Okay. Uh, Oprah. Never heard of her, yeah. Uh, Meghan Markle? No, all the dudes don't, right? The lady's like, yes. Okay. Justin Bieber. You've heard of these people. Okay, you've heard of them. Of course you have, because they are what we call household names, right? Friends, in this day, Jesus had become a household name. It says his name had become known. They were talking about him at the dinner table. More and more people were talking about him at the water cooler during their break at work. More and more people had actually bought tickets and gone to listen to him at his favorite venue, the Lakeside Theater, where Jesus would push out from the shore and stand on a boat and preach to the masses. And so as people are talking about Jesus, as he's becoming famous, as he's a household name, the question starts to emerge. And so, hey, guy, like, who is this guy then? Everybody's talking about him, but who is he? Who is Jesus? And so as they talk, as, as more and more people have Jesus trending on their social media, three theories emerge. Three popular takes on Jesus Christ emerge. The first one is this. The Baptist is back. John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a very reasonable explanation. The only other time in our lifetime that we have seen such crowds, the only other time I've seen such a buzz was when John the Baptist showed up in Galilee. And so this must be the Baptist. He's back. Other people are like, nah, man, nobody's risen from the dead. This is Elijah. This is the prophetic figure that the scriptures promised would come to prepare the way. So that way when God's king showed up, we would be ready. He's the forerunner. Other people are like, nah, I don't even think he's that important. I think he's just a prophet. We got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, now Jesus. Just another prophet, a righteous man who has come from God and is speaking with power. These are the theories. Who is this guy? Who is Jesus? I find it interesting that none of these theories considered the fact that, is he the Messiah? <laughs> None of these theories got it right. Not one theory says, I believe he is God's king, the Messiah who follows Elijah, who has come to bring us back into the family of God. There are a lot of people talking about him, but not a lot of people getting it right, which tells me that fame doesn't necessarily equal faith. You can be familiar with the fame of Jesus without putting your faith 
in Jesus. Friends, listen, there is a difference between hearing about Jesus and following Jesus. And so we, this gospel-centered community, we are not here just so that the shore can become familiar with the fame of Jesus. We want them to put their faith in Jesus. And so, yes, our good works as a gospel community, our good works increase the fame of Jesus, but then our explicit gospel calls people to put their faith in Jesus. You see? And so Jesus, his fame is spreading not just spreading wide, not just spreading far, it's also spreading high, vertically up the ladder to the upper echelon of societal and political power because not only has everybody heard of it, even King Herod heard of it. This was not happening in a small backwoods of Galilee. This is not just a small little ragtag movement that nobody's paying attention to. This is a verifiable, world-changing movement. Even the rulers are hearing about it. Even the political leaders are hearing about it. Even those in authority are hearing about this message. The kingdom is here and the king is calling. And so Herod hears about Jesus. He hears the buzz, right? He hears what people are saying. And when he hears the John the Baptist theory, he freezes. What what did you say? Yeah, we think this is John the Baptist reincarnated back from the dead. And as he hears this theory, it's like time stands still. And the blood drains from his face. And paranoia floods his heart. And he goes, can it be? I I guess that makes sense. I mean, mean, it does kind of feel like deja vu with the crowds and the buzz and and the world turning upside down. Could it be that the man they are hailing all over the country is the man I killed. John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. Wait a minute, what? When was John beheaded? What? John, we were just with him by the lake. Like He just baptized Jesus. When did John get beheaded? Welcome, friends, to the flashback. And so we go back in our Bibles. We flash back to the very beginning. And Mark, he snuck this line in there ever so sneakily. He said, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And we focus. Yeah, Jesus is here. He's proclaiming the gospel. He's preaching. But after John was arrested. Like, how was your week, babe? Oh, it was good. Got arrested, went to jail. But what's for dinner tonight? You're like, whoa, what? What, did, what, what? what? How did John get arrested? Why was he in prison? What happened? And so this is why today is a flashback. Let's learn what happened. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Let's pause the story there, friends. The second thing we see is that, oh, I'm not done. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. Now we see that when the king of heaven calls the kings of earth are not exempt. When the king of heaven calls, 
The kings of earth are not exempt. And so I want to introduce you, ladies and gentlemen, to one of the kings of earth. All right. Don't rise. Just stay seated, all right? Are you ready? We meet a king of earth, and his name is Herod. Herod. And so many of you who have read your Bibles, you're probably more familiar with history than you actually realize. And so many of us, we've heard of Herod the Great, right? This is the man who wanted to trick the wise men to go and kill baby Jesus, right? He's like, oh, hey, tell me, where's that, that, where's that king born again? I want to go worship him, right? And they're like, uh, we'll text you back. Yeah, yeah, we'll call you. They leave him on read, right? That's King Herod, the psychopath. When he found out that they tricked him and that he couldn't go kill the king, he killed all the babies. Genocide. Everybody two and under, just to be safe. It's King Herod. Well, you see, when King Herod died, Caesar Augustus divided up his territory over there in Israel and Judea and all around Samaria, divided up that territory among, his four, among four of his children. And I'm telling you, you guys know these people more than you even realize. Archelaus, little baby Jesus, remember? In, in Luke, it says when Herod died, they were going to go back. And what did an angel show up and say? Don't do it, because now his son Archelaus has been placed over that region. He's even more of a savage. So we're not going to go back home. We're going to go to Nazareth, all right, instead of Bethlehem. Philip, you know this name. He ruled over the section in the northeast of Israel. Have you ever heard of the city Caesarea Philippi? Philippi, right? When you make a nice piece of artwork, you put your name on it. What these guys do is they conquer a piece of land and they put their name on it. Caesarea Philippi in the northeast, that's his guy. Antipas, that's our Herod here. And then Salome doesn't show up in the Bible. And because they were extremely creative and unique, all of their names were Herod. Herod Archelaus, Herod Philip, Herod Antipas, and Herod Salome. It's like Caesar. Like, which one is Caesar? They're all Caesar. Same thing, okay? And so here we are in our story, and we find out that Herod Antipas is in the middle of a scandal because he has convinced his brother's wife, her name was Herodias, his brother's wife, to leave Philip and marry him. <whistles> scandal. But wait a minute, weren't they both married already? Yes. But wait a minute, what about... What about Antipas's wife? What about, she's gone. And he convinces his brother's wife to leave his brother to come be his wife. And oh, by the way, I forgot to mention on the family tree, she's his niece. Ooh. <laughs> that's, what, that's the exact, ooh, that's right, friends. Welcome to the citizens of this world. And so Herod here is married to his brother's wife, who's also his niece. Do you think that people talked about this? No, right? You think anybody cared about the love life of their leaders and officials? Was there a market for following the marriages and the love life of all the royals? No, right? Nobody's going to care about this stuff. This will never sell any magazines, right? Come on, now everybody's talking about this, right? All the tabloids, all the news outlets, everybody's Did you hear? Oh my goodness, what happened? Right? And they're all into this affair. And then there's one news reporter. There's one guy who is following this topic and he's covering and his podcast is blowing up. There's one reporter, his YouTube channel is going viral because not only was he talking about it, he was outwardly, publicly condemning it. There's this one guy who's covering the news and he's writing an open letter to King Herod and the title of his letter is, It Is Not Lawful. And he is publicly 
condemning their marriage. And his name is John the Baptist. In this letter, he says, you can't abandon your own wife and marry your brothers. That's wrong. I got to call a spade a spade. His message was the kingdom is here and that ain't it. The king is calling and that's not his ways. Herod, you're in the wrong. And everybody who's watching this news media, they're like, he said what to the king? And I want, ladies in the room, I want you to imagine for a moment that you're Herodias. I know, I'm not going to put that evil on you, okay? But you're Herodias, and you're walking through the checkout stand at the grocery store, and you see your picture on the tabloids. You see your face on that magazine with the headline, Baptist condemns the royal marriage. How are you feeling about John the Baptist, ladies? Mm. She going to invite him over for dinner? Come over for some tea? No, you could imagine how she's feeling. And so Herod sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias. To defend the honor of his mistress turned wife, he cancels John. He deletes his YouTube channel. He bans his blog. He locks him up. He silences the call of the kingdom. And he says, you will not speak this anymore. Censored. John, my boy John, come on, man. Don't you know how this works? Don't you know how to play the game? You can preach your message, but yo, those guys up there, they're exempt. Those guys up there, they're on a different uh, set of rules, a different stratosphere. It's just different for people like you and me from the people who are at the top of the political org chart. Everybody knows how it works. John, what are you doing? You see, friends, the kingdom of God doesn't offer diplomatic immunity. The kingdom of God only recognizes one king. And so when the king of heaven calls, the kings of earth are not exempt. You see, John the Baptist, he had a mission. He had a message. He was calling people who were living for themselves. He was calling people to examine their lives and to turn. He was calling them to prepare themselves, to assume a posture of humility and repentance so that way when the king would show up, they would be ready to receive him. And his message is the same. For the highest official down to the lowest servant, the kingdom is calling. Turn to him. Everyone must come to the king in the same way. And so notice the reactions to this message. Some people are triggered, all right? And so out here, we have Herodias, and how does she feel? She had a grudge against him. She wanted to put him to death. And everybody says, duh. He spoke out against the queen. She straight up had hatred for John. She straight up hated this message. Her desire was to destroy him. She didn't just want to cancel him, guys. She wanted to kill him because she knows that his message, and as long as he has breath in his lungs, he will continue this message that is antithetical to her way of life. And so she doesn't subscribe to a live and let live. She says, no, for me to live, you must die. For me to live, this message and its perpetuators must be silenced. We just got sent out on a mission last week, didn't we? And so Mark has a message for you sent ones. Hey, disciples, if you can hear me while you're out there, East Point Church, if you can hear me while you're going, brace yourself. You will experience outright hostility. 
Do you ever wonder why there are some people who are so blatantly hostile in their unbelief? It's not enough for them to not believe, but they want to go and ruin the messengers. They want to go and ruin this message and cast doubt on it. I heard a scholar, he said once, you know, atheists spend a lot of time hating someone who they don't believe exists. Outright hostility. They know that the message is antithetically opposed to the values and their ways and the principles on which they have built their life. And so they don't subscribe to a live and yet li- live and let live. They say, in order for me to live, this message must die. Sent ones, brace yourselves. You'll experience some outright hostility. But that's not everyone. Not everyone in our story responds this way, right? Like Herod, would you say Herod was outright hostile? I don't think so. Let's look at him. You see, on the one hand, he's offended, like about his wife, right? He he is offended. He doesn't appreciate the implications of this message. He realizes that John is a little bit too big for his britches. He's confronting him on his stuff. And so he claps back and he imprisons him. And yet at the same time, there's something inside of him that's kind of attracted to the message. At the same time, he'll sneak down into the dungeons and and listen to those podcasts that night, the same ones he banned. At the same time, he knows that John was a righteous and holy man. There is something to this man. There is the ring of truth ever so faintly that I can hear in my heart. But it would cost too much. I would have to leave everything to turn to this Jesus. It would cost too much. It is too costly. And so he's conflicted, isn't he? He, He's listening eagerly, and yet he goes away greatly perplexed. He's protecting this man and keeping him alive, but he's keeping him in chains. He goes, I will listen to the YouTube channel all day. I will follow the channel, but I will not bow at his feet and call him Lord. Sent ones. Those who have been going out, disciples, if you can hear me out there, you will experience those who have a conflicted curiosity. You will meet people who say, ooh, I like this. I I like to listen to this, but I will not follow it. I'll follow this channel, but I will not follow this Lord. You'll meet people who want to talk about Jesus all day, and it's intellectually stimulating, and they actually feel that they leave these conversations feeling a little bit better about themselves, and and they want to even maybe get a degree, or I took a religion class, and, and we can talk about Jesus all day because he's fascinating. These people even respect and recognize the righteousness and holiness of those who follow him, but I can't put my faith in it. I I can't go all in like you because that would cost me everything. Sent ones, brace yourself. Calibrate your expectations. Jesus sends you into the world, but you will experience outright hostility and a conflicted curiosity. And so can you see how conflicted Herod is? It's only going to get worse. His confliction is only going to get worse in our final scene because it's his birthday and he's throwing a party. Are you ready? Let's see what it says. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. 
And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guest, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Herod was conflicted, wasn't he? Herod was on the fence. But we see here that the call of the kingdom comes to a crossroads. The call of the kingdom comes to a crossroads. And so here we go. It's Herod's birthday. All with me. Happy birthday, right? Happy birthday to the scumbag. Happy birthday. Right? That's it's his birthday. All right, Herod, it's your birthday. What do you want for your birthday, buddy? One thing. Status. Power. Recognition. And so it's his birthday, and he throws a birthday party, and he is flexing in front of the powers that be. Look who's at a party. We've got nobles. Okay. we got military commanders. Okay. we got the leading men of Galilee. Do you see? People who are important in the eyes of the world. And right now, Herod, he's not just liked by the world. No, he's on top of it. So he looks around from his throne, and he's got these people there. Wow. You guys enjoying this party? Oh, yeah, this is a dope party. Oh, yeah, look at this. And he has the admiration and respect of the powers that be. And so he's showing off to them. He's strutting. He's flexing. He's doing all these things. He has dancers and food. And then he has the ultimate move, the ultimate flex, where he goes, hey, guys, listen to this. Takes out his checkbook, opens it up. Signs his name, gives it to his, his uh, stepdaughter slash grandniece, and he goes, hey, blank check, whatever you want. <laughs> right? And everybody's like, oh, can, can he do that? Whoa, whoa, he just gave her a blank check? Is he really that powerful? Is he really that stacked? And he doubles down. He goes, no, I mean it. Guys, hey, I'm not joking. I'm not, your boy's got it like that. He vows, whatever you ask of me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. Take that to the bank and cash it. And people, wow. He's serious. Pause. Welcome to the operating system of the world. We've just saw for the last five chapters, we're, we're hearing about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the king of God, and now Mark is peeling back the curtain, and we're just getting a glimpse into just how gross it is in the kingdom of this world. Like, we're, we're seeing this contrast. We have King Jesus walking around, talking about the kingdom of God, and here we have these pigs on thrones making cocktail wagers with blank checks. Why would anyone... 
want to live for and be impressed with that world. Welcome to the operating system of this world. And so he writes the blank check, and you can see the daughter just sitting there holding this, like, what should I do with this? I mean, she, she recognizes that this is valuable. She recognizes that this is huge. And so she runs to her financial advisor, also known as her mother, and she says, Mom, what should I ask for? Mom, what should we write on the check? A pony? And that mother, with vitriol oozing out of her, she goes, give me that. She rips the check out of her hand. She takes her pen and she hisses John the Baptist's head. You see, Herod's flexing, and yet she sees this as an opportunity to once and for all kill John. Once and for all, I will end this message. Once and for all, I will silence the call of the kingdom so that I can do what I want to do on my own. And practically, hear her hissing, and so she, she sends her daughter back to Herod, right? And she's not like a stroll. Like, they're in the party waiting for her. And so it says immediately, with haste, she runs back and she goes, Herod, I know what I want. I know what I want. And he's sitting there like, yo, watch this. Whatever you ask for, right? You said anything? Anything. You'll do it? Oh, yeah. Why? Because I'm powerful and important. And everyone's like, wow, look at this guy. She's, and he's sitting there and she goes, I know what I want. The head of John the Baptist on a platter. She asks for it. And now he's stuck, isn't he? You have all the leaders egging him on, all the powers that be that are just wagering men's life over cocktails. And like, oh, are you going to do it? Oh, I bet you won't. You won't. You won't. You're not that powerful. You can't kill people. You're not that powerful to where you can just like gamble with men's life. You won't do it. And he's stuck. Because on the one hand, he's balancing the admiration of the powers that be. He just wrote a blank check. He has an opportunity right now to demonstrate that he belongs at the top of the political power org chart. And yet on the other hand, he has his closet curiosities. He has his secret beliefs. Like if he stands up and says, hey, hey, not John. All right, guys, calm. Not John. He will oust himself as a, as a subscriber to the ideology of this weirdo named John. If he speaks up now, people will know that he moonlights by going down into the dungeon and listening to this Jesus, about this Jesus guy. They'll know that he's not just focused on being the king, but that he actually recognizes in his soul the authority of another king and another kingdom. And so he's stuck. It says he's exceedingly sorry. Friends, I told you, conflicted curiosity could only last so long, right? You can only be on the fence for so long. Inevitably, there comes a point in your life where you have to choose. Will he live to impress the world? Will he live according to their values, playing their games? Or will he live to please King Jesus? He's conflicted. And so he chooses. The king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The call of the kingdom comes to a crossroads. Have you ever stood right there? Have you ever stood 
in the tension, stuck between what other people think about you and your allegiance to King Jesus? Do you ever feel that tension that, that almost borders on embarrassment of going, man, I've already pledged allegiance and I'm living for the kingdom, but if other people know that, that might cost me something and, and I'm embarrassed and I feel awkward and I don't know what's a lot. Have you ever stood there? If so, welcome to the club. This is par for the course. This is human nature. This is not a reflection of your immaturity or if you were stronger, if you knew more, you would never feel the tension. I feel the tension. I feel the tension every time I sit in Starbucks and I'm writing my sermon, but I need my Bible propped up because I'm writing my sermon. And I'm going, oh, I feel it. Jesus knows that we're going to feel it. That's why he warned us. and He goes, hey, don't deny me. When you stand there, have the full confidence that I will give you the words to say. And as you stand for me, I will be standing for you before my father. Jesus wouldn't have given us that hope if he didn't know that we'd be standing here. Welcome to the movement. This is par for the course. And Herod chose. He made his choice, and Herodias' hostility wins out. And so they send the executioner. They bring his head on a platter, gives it to the girl. The girl goes and brings it to her mother. This is gross. This is not fiction. This is not a metaphor. These are people treating people like objects. And in this moment, as Herodias opens the platter and sees his head, in that moment, we see the hatred of the world for this message. Jesus has already told us the world will hate you. And we talked about this, right? When the Bible says the world will hate you, it doesn't mean every single individual will hate you. If every single individual hates you, it might be you, not the message. I'm just saying, okay? When he says the world will hate you, he means that the operating system of this world, the values, the ways, the methods, the, the principles on which this world is founded are antithetically opposed to the gospel message that you are carrying. And they see it as a threat. And they hate it. And they know this is not live and let live. This is for me to live, this message must die for me to carry on and perpetuate the ways of this kingdom, this people must be silenced. I mean, did this have to happen to John? John, my boy, come on, dude, like, Herod liked you. You had favor with the king. Couldn't you have played this up? Like, come on, bro, couldn't you have gotten a deal as, like, his personal prophet? Couldn't you have really just, like, really pandered to him and you could have been his own private prophet preacher? I bet you you would have been invited to the party. I bet you could have ridden in the chariots with him. Man, if you would have just toned it down. Oh, John. If you would have just like kept doing your thing but just turned a blind eye toward that, John, we could have had a bigger platform. We could have had more influence. We could have been doing bigger things for the kingdom. But just tone it down. All you had to do is play the game. All you had to do is pander to the powers but he couldn't do it because he had a message that God had called him to declare. And he stood at a crossroads, just like Herod did, just like you do. And so where Herod pandered to the powers that be, John died 
to that world. John wasn't playing by their rules. John decided, I'm not going to pursue those values. I am dying to those aspirations. I'm going to die to that life because I'm going to choose the life that I have found in Christ. I will die to what the kings of this world offer me because I'm going all in on what the king of heaven offers me. He had a choice, and he died to the world. He died to their values. He died to those pursuits and followers of Jesus. Hear me when I say this. Learn the lesson that Mark is giving us here through John. When we die to the world, the world says die. When we die to the world, when we refuse to play their game, when we refuse to build our life on their ways and perpetuate that kingdom, the world will look at us and they say die. Because your very presence and your very message is threatening and opposing our way of life. You're pledging King Jesus. We only want to serve King me. It's when we die to the world and its pursuits. The world says, die. The values of this world that are antithetically opposed to the kingdom of God. They don't play nice with others. They don't live and let live. They say coexist on their bumper stickers. They lying. Everybody who agrees with me can coexist. As we stand at the crossroads, will we live for the world and receive the offerings that they make? Or will we die to this world and follow Jesus? And when we say die to the world, friends, the world says die. This is the first time in the movement that somebody has died for King Jesus. I think it's poetic that the man who first recognized Jesus is also the first man to die for Jesus and his movement. He's the first, but he won't be the last. You see, because the king of this movement himself is coming to a crossroads. You're like, what are you talking about? I thought the crowds were growing. They are, but so is the hostility. As his popularity increases, as word starts to trickle up the ladder, as more and more leaders and Pharisees and religious scribes hear what's going, they're going, oh, I heard of that. I heard, what did he say? And they're starting to pay attention, and they're starting to recognize that Jesus is not just popular, he's a threat. That his message is not just tickle the ears, it is revolutionary, and it is causing people to die to this world and live for another, and that's a problem. And so Jesus, too, is coming to a crossroads in just a few pages. And he will have an opportunity. Do I live for the values of this world? Do I play up the crowds? Do I just let them make me their king now? Can I have the popularity and the riches and the fame and the power of this world? Or will I say, no, I die to that so that I can be perfectly obedient and faithful to the Father? And Jesus, when he stands at that crossroads, picks up his cross and he starts walking. The road marked death. And all of his followers who were back here following him, they get there and they go, wait, did he just make a wrong turn? I, I thought for sure this was, did he just, you, you mean I can't have and to, Jesus, wait a minute, rerouting, what's going on? And he just keeps walking. And he looks back and he calls over his shoulder and he says to you and to me, those who are following him, Carry your cross every day and follow me like this. And he realized that to follow him is actually to travel the road marked death. 
Do you remember the original audience of the book of Mark? Do you remember all the way back at the beginning? Roman Christians who were sitting in dungeons, threatened to die, who were about to be fed to wild beasts, and in those dungeons they had one final opportunity. You can recant, you can come back and live with us in this society according to our rules, or you can continue to follow this King Jesus and die tomorrow morning. They stood at a crossroads, and I can just imagine the people in that dungeon just crying, the tension, maybe even bleeding or sweating drops of blood like Jesus did at the crossroads, and they're sitting there going, what do I do tomorrow? When they come in and ask me, am I a follower of Jesus? When they come in and ask me, will I go with them or go the other way? What will I do? And I just imagine their pastor in that dungeon saying, guys, I have a letter from Mark. I have a story he wants you to hear. And they get to chapter 6, and they're reading about John the Baptist. And you can hear a pin drop in that room. Because they're hearing Mark's message loud and clear. That we should choose to die to the world and live for God. Mark is saying to them in the dungeon, to those in this room, to those of us who stand at the crossroads, this is the way. This is the way. When we die to the world, the world says, die. Die. I think about how many people right now are standing in pulpits across this country and across the globe who are, who are talking to people like you, who are standing at the crossroads, and they're trying to make it easy. Ah, you know, it's not, it's not really like a why. It's more of like a tuning fork. I mean, they're kind of parallel. I mean, you don't have to like die, die. It's like a metaphor. Just come on, follow Jesus. Just fill out the card. Don't worry about it. I know the die stuff. That's extreme. But really, it's just parallel paths. It's just a little moralism. Just be good. And if you ever need a fix of the world, look, it's close enough. Just boop. You just stick your toe in the water. And we give out cotton candy and donuts. You know, like, it's like, how is it, right, that we as humans, we, we want to make this sound easier than it is, and yet Jesus' plan was to perpetuate a movement that would take over the entire globe, and his marketing strategy was come and die. Like, Yo, Jesus, you need a new marketing manager. I don't think this is going to take off, man. Like, I like the miracles, yes, the sickness, the, yes, but when you're like, come and follow me and carry your cross? How is it that the people in that dungeon hearing this story would wake up the next day and say, I'm a follower of Jesus, executed. How is it that people all over the world for thousands of years have heard this message, come and die to the world and follow Jesus, and it actually has worked? How is that possible? Is it really worth it? I know what you're thinking. You're thinking the same thing those people thought in the dungeon. For real? Is this worth it? Is this a good decision? Those are all tremendously perfect questions. But here's why it works. Here's why God is saving people through the communication of this difficult message. Yes, it's a good decision because Jesus is better. Yes, it's death. Yes, you're giving up the riches. Yes, you're saying no to all of the goods that this operating system wants you to pursue with your life. But nothing that you give up is better than what you gain following Jesus. Jesus is better this is a call to realize that the world's offerings are bankrupt and empty. But I really want to be liked by them. You really? Look at the party. That's what we're talking about here. 
This is a call to realize that those things are bankrupt and empty. This is a call to realize that to die to this world is no loss at all. This is a call to realize that you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. This is a call to realize, friends, that the fountains that you and I are drinking from, the fountains of success and fame and power and all these things and money, those fountains will turn your soul sour But there's an invitation to come and drink from the fountain of life. To come and drink of the water that will satisfy you. And those who drink of this will thirst no more. This is an invitation, friends, to come and experience purpose in a world of meaninglessness. To drink from a fountain that is full of undying hope in the midst of pain. To experience love and unconditional acceptance as we are called children of God. This is a call to live in the light away from a world that is bathed in darkness. We are invited to come and die so that we can experience the only life that qualifies as truly living. Jesus is better. And though the world will hate us, and the world, though the world will stand over here and silence us, and get us to quit, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. My favorite verse in all the Bible, Philippians chapter 3, but whatever gain I had, whatever I had going for me on the other path, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. That's a cuss word in the Greek, for those of you taking notes. Trash, dung, that is rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, that I may know him. I leave this road behind, I die to the world, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Nothing that we lose here comes close to what we gain here. And yes, as we carry our cross and follow him, we have the promise that those of us who experience death to the world like him will also experience a resurrection like his. Is it worth it? Yes, because Jesus is better the riches of knowing God and being known by him far surpass the rubbish that the world is selling to you. And when we stop chasing them, when we travel the road marked death, fear not, because those things are no life at all. And yet here the author of life has come to show us what it truly means to live. Let's follow him. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, this is a hard message. To be at this crossroads, Lord, is our souls recognize that there is something here. This is a decision of, this, of, of eternal significance. How will we build our life? And so, Lord, I just ask you, Father, as a, as a dude living in this world that is constantly being marketed to and pandered to and, and appealed to, to pursue the pursuits of this world, Father, would you keep me? 
Would you remind me daily that the pursuits of this world, though they may be like honey on the lips, are poison to our souls? And would you open our eyes to see the treasure and the beauty and the goodness of life in Christ? Make our hearts believe it, that Jesus is better. We need it, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.